Chapter 5, Problem Kids, Drunkards, Traitors, and Other People Jesus Likes Hanging Out With. This chapter is based on Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 39. Tears suddenly welled up in Celeste's eyes. I was shocked. Why was this confident, beautiful businesswoman crying? I had simply told her I thought she'd look just as beautiful if she let her hair go back to its natural color of red. My mind was racing. I'm the queen of accidentally insulting people, but I couldn't imagine how this insulted her. After a long, awkward silence, Celeste smiled through tears which were now flowing freely. I'm sorry. You must think I'm a nut. No, honey, you cry if you need to. I'm sorry if I said something. She wiped her tears and then said, no, it's not you at all. It's just my past. She went on to tell me about how much trouble her red hair had caused her as a child. Her mother had died of a drug overdose when she was eight years old, and her abusive dad had abandoned her. Her grandparents took her in for a few months, but her grandmother couldn't even be in the room with her without crying. While Celeste was grieving the loss of her mother, her grandmother very painfully pointed out how that red hair is just like your father's. I can't even look at it. He stole my baby girl from me. What kind of shit is that to put on an eight-year-old girl, Celeste questioned, the pain still raw and obvious in her voice. Celeste went on to say that her grandfather was a little better. He would smile and give her cookies. Her grandfather told her to keep to herself and maybe her grandmother would come around. But after just eight months, she found herself sitting in front of a social worker and being placed in foster care. My new foster mom was okay. She tried, I guess, but she didn't know what to do with me. I was so mean to her and I had this thick mess of red hair that had become the reason I was unloved in this world. Celeste laughed a little. You wouldn't believe the hell I put that poor lady through over trying to get my hair brushed. Finally, I wore her down and she quit trying. So insecure, nine-year-old, lily-white, freckle-faced me went to school with a red afro that whole year. I didn't make a lot of friends. Celeste went on to explain that throughout the rest of her childhood, her red hair was the cause of a lot of pain and insecurity for her. Worse than that, it was her excuse for not even trying to care about anything or anyone. She viewed herself as an ugly, unlovable redhead. She let people abuse her, but she also abused plenty of people. People hurt her, and she hurt people. It was how her world worked. She stared past me at her daughter playing in the lake. She's the best thing that ever happened to me. I didn't want her, and the only reason I didn't have an abortion was being pregnant felt like a way out of my effed up life. When Celeste found out she was pregnant, she was 17 years old. Her foster parents had already told her they were going to kick her out when she turned 18. If she was lucky, her social worker might be able to work things out for her to stay with them an extra three months so she could graduate. Leaving her foster home early and going to a home for teen moms was when Celeste began to take care of herself for the first time. It's funny, my roommate was studying to be a hairdresser. She just looked at me one night and said, you know, you don't have to be a redhead. Something in me clicked. I didn't have to be any of the things I was. I desperately wanted to be different for my baby. 
I wanted to get off of drugs so my baby would not lose me the way I lost my mom. And here we were, 10 years later, sitting at a picnic table, watching our kids splash each other in the lake. I'd been friends with her for a year, and I had no idea how much pain she had been hiding. After she shared her story, I felt incredibly honored, and she felt incredibly embarrassed. Oh God, she groaned. I can't believe I shared all of that with you. You must think I'm horrible. Unfortunately, though Celeste was one of the strongest people I've ever met, she felt like she was too big of a mess for most religious people. She felt they'd shun her if they really knew what she was like. She recounted stories of being forced to go to vacation Bible schools as a child and her foster parents dropping her off at youth group meetings, hoping they'd fix her. She heard stories of Jesus and even believed in him, but she didn't like church. In church, I still feel like the little girl with the red afro wondering why I don't fit in. People will be nice enough, but I know if they really saw me, they'd run from me. The abuse and hurt in Celeste's life started from situations beyond her control. The rejection she felt from others early in her life shaped everything about her. Even as a great mom, wife, and successful businesswoman, she was desperately afraid of ever being all of the things that she had been called as a child. Unfortunately, Celeste was probably right about many of the people in my church, and I wish I had been louder about how wrong they were. But Jesus could totally handle all of her hurt, her mistakes, her heartache, fears, and current struggles. As she followed him, she began to find the healing she so desperately wanted. We lost touch with each other, and I'm not sure if she ever learned to fit in with American church culture, but I know she is completely in God's kingdom. When Luke wrote his gospel, he was writing for ancient Roman Gentiles and others rejected by the strict religious elite. Remember, strict Jews shunned Gentiles so completely that they refused to enter their homes and they would literally walk to the other side of the street to avoid contact with anyone they considered unclean. When you think about the extreme animosity between Jews and Gentiles, the fact that Luke wrote this account of Jesus is crazy awesome. The fact that thousands and thousands of Gentiles followed Jesus is even crazier and awesomer. How in the world would a bunch of ancient Roman Gentiles lower their guard enough to follow a Jewish rabbi? Simple. Luke showed them what Jesus was like. If you've ever felt like Celeste, knowing you didn't fit in with a religious crowd, You should absolutely love the stories of Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 39. They are stories of outsiders and survivors who were completely shunned by the religious elite, yet completely accepted by Jesus. He shocked the religious elite by openly associating with the people they condemned. Jesus hung out with the people on the outside of religion so much that he was constantly criticized for it. Matthew eleven nineteen says Jesus was known as a glutton, drunkard, and friend of sinners. I mean, how often do you think that shows up on a preacher's resume these days? Imagine, I'm a pretty good preacher, but I'm mostly known for eating and drinking a lot. Plus, I just love hanging out with sinners. We can't even imagine it because religion is all about not associating with the out crowd. The heart of religious attitudes remains the same today as it was back then. 
For many of the religious people of his day, the people Jesus associated with proved he wasn't from God. Religion said he wasn't worth following because of who he hung out with. I think who he hung out with is the very thing that makes him worth following. There weren't a lot of redheads like my friend Celeste running around the ancient Middle East, and there was no foster care system. However, there were tons of people being shunned and abused because of suffering they had already endured. For example, people with skin diseases. The shunning people with skin diseases suffered was much more blatant than what Celeste experienced. But at the heart, the religious rejection of their worth was the same. The ancient Jewish rules for skin diseases encompassed anything from a long-lasting rash to a severe infection to leprosy. All of these skin conditions were lumped together and came with a pronouncement by a priest that the sufferer was unclean. The common belief that all suffering was the result of sin and therefore deserved was harsh for any survivor of that day, but it was especially harsh for people with skin diseases. They were shunned on every level. They were forced away from their families and had to live with other outcasts outside of their towns. When they walked around, they had to put their hand over their mouth and shout, unclean, so people would know to avoid them. Clean people wanted to avoid even breathing the same air as them. They were physically cut off from their community and considered separated from God because of their illness. They were told not even God cared about them. In our modern comfortable lives, it is hard to fully comprehend their world and what people with skin diseases went through. Most of the harsh rules were originally designed to protect the community from the spread of the disease. The problem was when the rules about physical uncleanness were seen as condemnations of spiritual uncleanness. Rules meant to protect the community from spreading disease became rules used to shun and judge. Fear of skin diseases found an outlet in religious condemnation. If I'm better than them, I won't suffer like them. Blaming others for their suffering leads to all kinds of cruelty, then and now. Fear and blame strip away basic human compassion. Imagine the horror of going through suffering completely out of your control and being told it was your fault because of evil in you. Imagine being made to feel like your suffering was a sign of God rejecting you. That's how Celeste and people suffering with skin diseases were made to feel by religion. Jesus responded to our suffering differently. In Luke 5 verse 12, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. It's no surprise that the leper fell before Jesus with his face to the ground. This man approached Jesus with the same act of reverential recognition of Jesus' power that Peter had done earlier. He fell before Jesus and begged, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It is interesting. He didn't simply say, please heal me. He asked to be made clean, meaning he saw himself as unclean. He accepted people's judgments of him. All of the hurt and rejection this man endured makes the following verse more beautiful. In verse 12, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Let this scene soak in a minute. 
Jesus reached down and touched the unclean man. The law said this made Jesus unclean also. Even after the leper was cured, he was still considered unclean until a priest declared him clean. Jesus wasn't worried about the religious rules of who was clean and unclean. He cared about the man. He was walking around with all the power of God in him, and he chose to stop and be identified with this man. Jesus never worried about unclean people making him unclean. Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to a priest and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Luke chapter 5 verse 14. The priest believed there was no way to be cured from a pronouncement of an unclean skin disease except through a miracle. They had no power to help. All they could do was judge the uncleanness and make sure the judgment against them was carried out. Jesus told the man who had been healed not to tell anyone about his healing except the priest. Jesus had already made the man clean, but he wanted the priest to see. The priest would have to declare that someone had come along with a greater power than theirs because religion can only judge as unclean and shun. Jesus accepts, heals, and makes people clean. As the story continues, it gets even more crazy awesome. In Luke chapter 5 verses 17 through 26, a bunch of Pharisees and teachers of the law came from all over to hear Jesus teach. A crowd of people gathered outside the house where Jesus was teaching. They were all trying to get in to see Jesus. Many in the crowd were suffering from illnesses and disabilities. The religious leaders were crowded around Jesus, debating minutia of the law and pontificating pontificatable things, while people were literally dying to get past them to see Jesus. One especially badass group of friends was determined to get their friend to Jesus. While Jesus was teaching and answering questions, this group of friends was carrying their paralyzed friend to meet Jesus. When they got to the house where Jesus was, they realized they couldn't get through the crowd. So they climbed up on the roof, dug a hole in it, and lowered their friend through. Now back in the day, roofs were thatched and made out of straw and wood and covered with tiles. So it wasn't impossible to just tear a hole in it. But it wasn't a nice thing either. The homeowner wasn't going, yeah, that's cool. Just dig a hole in my roof. I'll patch that right up. It was still a big deal. These dudes defied social conventions and went all out to get their friend healed. The coolest part of the story is what happened when they lowered the friend in front of Jesus. This whole group of religious leaders who believed all suffering was based on sin and thus believed they were closer to God and above everyone else, they sat there debating with Jesus. Suddenly, a paralyzed man was lowered into the center of the room where the discussion was happening. I'm guessing all eyes were on Jesus and the paralyzed man. I feel like Jesus probably laughed when he saw this because he saw the opportunity this was creating. Luke says, Jesus looked at the paralyzed man and said, your sins are forgiven. The religious leaders were shocked and offended. They had the ability to recognize sin, and they were super good at judging people, but they did not have any ability to do anything about it. 
Jesus was telling them what he was all about and how he was different from what they expected of a Messiah. He told the man his sins were forgiven, but he didn't heal him. The man was still lying there paralyzed while shock and offense spread through the room. I'm sure Jesus masterfully let the awkwardness of the moment hang in the air while reality sunk in. Jesus had just claimed to forgive a man of his sins, which meant he was declaring himself equal to God. At the same time, he was separating the man's sins from his current condition. His paralysis stayed even after Jesus declared him forgiven. Jesus knew what was in everyone's hearts. He knew the buzz he had just created. So he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. This is another of Jesus' response that seems a little Yoda-ish on first glance, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. I'd probably have been like, uh, I don't know, get up and walk has less syllables. What was Jesus getting at? Jesus was demonstrating the best news for survivors. Our struggles do not mean God is far from us. My friend Celeste was judged because of a whole lot of circumstances beyond her control. She responded to how others shamed her by rejecting people before they could reject her. But God never rejected her. Religion says our struggles are deserved because of character flaws and mistakes which led to God's displeasure with us. Jesus' message is different. Jesus said that God wants to freely forgive. His message separated our struggle from God's acceptance of us. Jesus accepted the paralyzed man in front of everyone. He declared him forgiven and clean, yet he remained paralyzed. If you aren't a survivor and you've somehow managed to live in a safe bubble right up until you read this book, or more likely, if you have cleaned up your act, your life got better, and you think you deserve your easy life, being forgiven but not healed probably doesn't feel like good news to you. It probably feels like sucky news. But those of us living in the harsh world of reality know that life is really, really hard. Religion judges people whose struggles are worse than most. Jesus' interactions with this paralyzed man showed us that God doesn't judge the way religious people do. If you are like me, you're probably thinking, yeah, but that paralyzed dude probably hadn't done all of the messed up stuff I've done. I'm still not convinced this applies to me. If that's you, then hang on. You'll love the next story, which is the craziest awesomest. In Luke 5, verses 27 through 32, Jesus was walking along and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at this tax booth. When Jesus asked Levi to follow him, Levi seems to have jumped at the opportunity because he left everything and followed Jesus. The totally cool part about the story is the fact that Levi was a tax collector. Remember, they were literally considered the enemies of God 
who were not only siding with the occupying enemy, they were raising money for them. No one was considered more unredeemable and unclean than tax collectors, who basically flipped off the religious elite and gave a big F you to the whole system. Yeah, Jesus chose one of those guys to be his disciple. That is so freaking awesome. But Jesus didn't stop there. Luke 5.29 tells us that Levi had a huge banquet for Jesus where he invited his tax collector friends and some other sinners. Good church people might like to clean up how this party went, but let me just throw this out there. Everyone at this party was automatically considered unclean just by being in Levi's home. I don't know about you, but when I've been around a group of people who flipped off their religious establishment and said, we're going to do our own thing, we didn't sit around and work jigsaw puzzle. Just saying, this wasn't a PG group of people Levi was hanging out with. So when Jesus went to this banquet, he once again irritated the pajibers out of the religious elite. In ancient Israel, the wealthy people like Levi ate lavish meals in huge open dining areas, almost like being outside. People could walk by and listen in on conversations. Poor people would come beg for leftovers. Everybody in the community knew who you ate with, and they totally judged you by it. As Levi was having his banquet, religious leaders observed and criticized Jesus. Shocked by Jesus' audacious disregard for religious propriety, they asked Jesus' disciples why Jesus was eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was accepting these people while they were still messed up. I mean, thank goodness, because I, for one, still wouldn't be in if he didn't. When he was questioned about his outrageous behavior, Jesus answered them in verses 31 and 32. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This conversation was happening out in the open. Jesus basically called everybody at the party a sick sinner. It seems they weren't offended, though. They all knew they were not following God's rules. They knew they were far from fitting in with the religious crowd. More than anything, though, I think they also knew how much Jesus accepted them in their sickness. The religious leaders were appalled by Jesus's behavior. They said Jesus wasn't worth following because of his association with sinners but they couldn't deny his wisdom. So they questioned Jesus further. They asked why John the Baptist's disciples fasted and prayed, but Jesus's disciples went around eating and drinking. Jesus told them that the time to fast and pray would come later. Then he told them a strange parable. In Luke 5 verses 36 through 39, Jesus said, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say, the old is better." At the time, no one could fully grasp the meaning of this, but looking back, we can see that Jesus was referring to the old religious way of doing things. 
and it would not mix with the new way Jesus taught. Just the stories from this chapter of Luke demonstrate how the old way of judging people would not work in the new kingdom Jesus ushered in. The fact that Celeste felt so judged in churches claiming to follow Jesus demonstrates the problems religion still has with trying to mix the old covenant or testament with the new way Jesus taught. You can't love and accept like Jesus did and add legalistic religious conditions. The choices are Jesus's way of love, which accepts, redeems, and heals, or the old way, which judges and condemns based on our life circumstances and our ability to follow the rules. These two approaches do not mix. If legalism is working for you, you aren't going to be loving and accepting the way Jesus was. However, when you understand that Jesus wants to hang out with you while you are still messed up, you are changed by his acceptance. You find peace and hope in your mess, and you aren't afraid to hang out with other messy people. You want to reach out to the Celeste in your world. You want to show them how loved they are when they hate how they look, when they are abandoned, when they lash out, and when they spiral out of control. You know acceptance isn't based on what they've done, but on how much God loves them, even when they stay messy and still struggle.